You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. Let me invite you, if you have a copy of God's Word, to turn with me to John chapter 20 as we consider the resurrection of Jesus. John chapter 20. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Of course, that is the purpose that we have seen throughout this Gospel, and it's always been the goal. The goal is that you would hear the Gospel, that you would believe these things, and that you would be saved and have life in Jesus' name. It's always been eternal life as a result of believing in the Gospel. This is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish, but have eternal life. It's always been the goal. And yet, eternal life does not happen through a crucified and buried Savior alone. A crucified and buried Savior offers up the price that is required for our sin and offers up a way of salvation, but it does He does not offer just in a crucified and buried Savior a way to eternal life. And so as a result, His death alone is powerless ultimately to save. This is why Paul argued in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Without a resurrection, we have no gospel. So Jesus must be crucified and buried and resurrected. Paul said, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. This is the complete Gospel. In order for you to receive eternal life yourself, Jesus must also take up His life again in the resurrection. A Savior who is not powerless over death, but who is who has all power over life and death, this is the Savior whom we serve. So John 20 then is the eyewitness account, the beginning of, really the last two chapters of John, the eyewitness account of the events surrounding the resurrection of Jesus. And what John aims to do is build kind of a crescendo into what is his purpose that we've been reading for so many weeks now And that is John 20 and verse 31. So he's building into that. And we begin it here in John chapter 20. If you found your place, let me ask you to again stand this time in honor of the reading of God's word. 
John chapter 20 and verse 1 says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, which, by the way, again, is John, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there. But he saw the linen, uh, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the Scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes." Lord Jesus, I pray that as we open these two chapters to close out what has been a powerful walk through the book of John, that you would remind us yet again of what it means for you to be our living Christ. I pray that not only would we see the necessity of the, salvation, of the, of the resurrection of Jesus in salvation and what it has accomplished for us, I pray that we would be raised even from our deadness and trespasses and sins. Lord, if there's one here among us who is without Christ, I pray that today would be the day of salvation in which You call them out of the grave, out of the darkness, into Your marvelous light. And Lord, as we continue through these two chapters, remind us of what it means to live in Christ, to be alive through the Gospel. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So, Friday evening would have been the crucifixion of Jesus, and sometime between Him breathing His last breath around 3 o'clock in the afternoon to sundown, Joseph of Arimathea, as we read last week, and Nicodemus, his companion, take the body of the crucified Lord Jesus, they place Him in a nearby borrowed tomb, and they proceed to anoint Him with mixture of myrrh and various aloes. And they left out of, John left out of his account what took place after that, but the Romans set a stone in the opening of the tomb and they sealed it as per their instructions to seal it as tight as they could. And they set guards to protect the site so that the disciples could not come and steal the body away. That's what Matthew tells us in Matthew chapter 27 verse 62 and following. So you can look at that on your own, but that's the story. So the body of Jesus was there in the tomb Friday night, all day Saturday, and into Sunday morning. But then early on Sunday morning, this is probably the first time you've heard an Easter message on Thanksgiving. Early on Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb, and this is what John tells us. That on the first day of the week, that is Sunday Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. The sun had not even come up yet. 
and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Now, it's possible that Mary Magdalene was completely alone. The other gospel writers tell us that there were other women with her. Maybe she came and then she went and got them and brought them back. Or maybe there's some other missing piece to the chronology there. But at least we know Mary Magdalene came and arrived first. But it's not as important about who arrived as much as it is what they found when they got there. It says that Mary Magdalene saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And so she ran. And she proclaimed, they have taken the body of the Lord. She's scared to death that somebody has come and stolen the body of Jesus or moved it to a new location. And they would not be able to come and prepare it for burial. She didn't know what had taken place with Joseph and Nicodemus. They at least wanted to pay their respects to the fallen teacher, the fallen rabbi that had led them for three years. Lack of expectation that anything out of the ordinary would take place. And so Mary Magdalene sees that the, the, the stone has been rolled away. And it would seem, according to John's report, that, that she was totally caught off guard. Maybe she had come with an expectation that at minimum she could pay her respects. Kind of like we would visit a grave today, lay flowers at that grave. Maybe Mary is coming to pay her respects to Jesus. It's likely that the women did not know that Jesus' body had been prepared. And so the Bible tells us that they brought spices and things to do the very same things themselves. Mary was so shaken, though, at the sight of the stone being rolled away that she ran away. And we know that she had no idea what happened there. It's not that she ran away looking for Jesus. She thought that they had stolen the body and they didn't, she didn't know where they had laid him. She was shocked and grieved. If you read verse 11, we know that Mary actually remained even after the disciples went away at the tomb. She remained there weeping outside, stooped, looking into the tomb, wondering essentially what she's going to do. She had not come to the tomb expecting Jesus to be alive. She didn't have a 21st century view of Christianity. All she knew was her life with Christ. The missing body of Jesus led only to more grief and even more fear. And she could only believe that they had moved him or stolen the body. John is setting up a contrast here. He's setting up a contrast both in the life of Mary Magdalene and then now in the life of Peter. Peter and John come along to the tomb. And it says in verse 3 that Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. There's been some debate over maybe John and Peter being in some sort of lifelong competition with one another. There's no evidence of that in this gospel. In fact, there's evidence quite the contrary, that they were companions. And we see it again in the book of Acts where they came together. Maybe the best explanation is one of them was the older, one of, one of them was older than the other and couldn't quite keep up with the pace. So it's maybe an old man joke here by John. But anyway, uh, John reaches the tomb first. Stooping in, he saw the clothes lying there, but he didn't go in. 
Then there's Peter, the more brash one. The one who always speaks his mind. Peter gets there and he goes into the tomb and he notices not only the missing body of the Lord Jesus and the folded clothes lying there, but also the face cloth. The face cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the rest of it. John tells us nothing positive about Peter's response here. In fact, he only includes Peter in verse 9 when he says, For as yet they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. There's a lack of understanding in Peter that was not the same as what was there in John. It's as if he leaves us with this lack of response to help us see to see that Peter has no idea what's really going on. Peter and Mary, they're not knowing what has taken place at the tomb. In fact, Luke tells us that he was stooping in, stooping and looking in, and he saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Essentially, the, the text means wondering what had happened. He didn't have any clue. So there's certainly no expectation in Peter. There's no expectation in Mary. But there is a contrast when you look at John. John, in verse 8, is the first one to get there. And in his shock, he didn't go in. After Peter goes in, he comes in and he sees the sight. And here is what we're told about John. The Bible tells us that he saw and believed. He sees the clothes, he sees the face cloth separately, and he believes. Well, what is it that John believes? You should hear in this an echo from John chapter 11. You remember the story? The story of Nicodemus, where Jesus raised Nicodemus from the dead, or rather, not Nicodemus, Lazarus, from the dead. Chapter 11 and verse 41 So they took away the stone, similar language here. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. Verse 42 says, I I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. Verse 43 says that when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. So the man, that is Lazarus, who had died, came out at the command of Jesus, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. See, the same thing had happened to Lazarus. But when Lazarus comes out of the tomb, he's still wearing the grave clothes. When Lazarus comes out of the tomb, he's still bound by the chains of death. When Lazarus comes out of the tomb, the face cloth is still there covering his face. When Jesus comes out of the tomb, everything is folded neatly and left behind. It is as if we see the picture here in John chapter 20 of Jesus standing up under His own power, in His own strength, by His own authority, without any outside force, rising from the dead and neatly folding the clothes and leaving them behind Him and taking the face cloth and leaving it there as He walked out of the tomb. See, Jesus rose from the dead. 
He was not risen from the dead. He needed no one to command Him to come out. He rose Himself. He laid down His life and He took it up again. And this is what John sees. He goes in and saw and believed. See, there's a contrast between the faith of John and the lack of faith in Mary and Peter. He believed in the resurrected Christ. He didn't yet see Him. He didn't fully understand from the Scriptures. That's what John 20 tells us. He didn't understand all that the Scriptures had said about the resurrection. He just simply knew Jesus was not there. And he believed upon the resurrected Christ. Eventually, Peter himself would preach from Acts chapter 2 and share with us all about the resurrection and how the Scriptures had foretold this. But this is an early sign of faith. And it is the statement to all who would see the resurrection of the Lord Jesus that in order to be saved, we must believe upon the risen Lord in order to be saved. You cannot be saved apart from believing in the risen Lord Jesus. We have to believe upon Jesus being alive. In fact, the the verse that we quote often Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the call to salvation. It is to believe upon the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Eternal life was secured at the resurrection of Jesus when He broke the chains of death Himself. Nothing binding Him. No power over Him. And it could not have power over Him, Peter told us. This is something Jesus did in His own strength. And they come in genuine wonder of Jesus. And John tells us that He believed. It's those who come by faith. Not those who come by fear and confusion over what's in the Gospel, but rather genuine wonder over what the Gospel teaches. It's not those that come with excuses because they don't know yet all the Scriptures and what they teach concerning Jesus, but rather those who come in faith, believing whatever Jesus has to say. And He proved it by rising from the dead. They don't come to fabricate a story, to make up some Religious news about stealing a body. They come only to find an empty tomb of a Savior who did not need to be commanded to rise again. We must believe upon the risen Christ in order to be saved. These things are written that you may believe. That's the whole call. Believe upon Christ and therefore have life in His name. The only way we have life in His name, the only way we experience abundant life, the only way we experience eternal life is through the resurrected life of Jesus. So what difference? If we believe in the resurrected Christ, what difference does that make for disciples of Jesus? So we think about the difference between the resurrection in John's heart of faith and the lack thereof yet in Peter's heart and Mary's heart. What contrast do you see between 
death and life, what changes for the person who comes to know Jesus as Savior and Lord and who has believed in the resurrection. There are four things that we should notice from this passage in John's life as it, as it compares to the others that are here in the passage. Number one, those who believe the resurrection have a living Christ. Those who believe the resurrection have a living Christ. Without the resurrection, it's just a story. Without the resurrection, it's just another legacy or legend. It's another empty religion and dead God. At best, it's a memory. At worst, it's forgotten. Maybe they could put up a statue of Jesus in downtown Jerusalem. Maybe Jesus would be like the unknown God there at the Athenian uh, gathering where they made an altar and worshipped Him, but nobody really knew His name. There would be those who would mock and jeer at Jesus who hung on the cross, who all these poor, pitiful people followed to their demise. Would it even be a good thing that someone followed Jesus at that point? Could Jesus ever change a life at that point? Or would it only be a a crutch that people use to make themselves feel better? Or a weapon that people use to manipulate others? All of these things could still be true if it weren't for the resurrection of Jesus. You see, without the resurrection of Jesus, Christianity is robbed of its power. But because Jesus died and was buried and rose again, Christianity is none of those things. Christianity is the worship and relationship with a person. The one who is God in human flesh. Jesus has brought down the wall of separation between us and the Father so that there is a relationship between a sinful man and a holy God. We don't worship a system or a church or a religion. We worship a person. He's a living Savior. And so the reign of Christ over all things as a person was established at the resurrection and His Kingdom is enlarging every single moment. The news of the Gospel is actually good news because of Jesus. We don't serve a system. We don't serve an institution. We don't serve a story or a legend or a tradition or any other man-made thing. The Bible is not a man-made book. It is a book about Jesus who was God in human flesh. It's about a person. We worship and serve Him. And because Christianity was about a person and is about a person, the New Testament church continued to preach the same message. So verse 24 of Acts 2, God raised Him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible to be held by it. Verse 14 of chapter 3, But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised up from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Chapter 4, Let it be known to all of you 
and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who, Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The resurrection of Christ became the message of the New Testament church. You go to Acts 5, it's the same picture. Acts 10, same picture. 13, and so on. It is the bulk of the New Testament message. Why? Because the worship of a person is the message of the Gospel. Salvation through Christ and Christ alone. So do we realize when we gather for worship, Do we realize when we read God's Word? Do we realize whenever we're faced with a choice to obey or disobey that our lives are now wholly about a person? So often in the culture in which we live, Christianity is reduced to a system or to a set of practices. When we were united with Christ, we know Him just as if we've seen the risen Christ with our very eyes. And the beauty of God's Word is that we will see Him face to face who know Him as Savior and Lord. It's about a person. Secondly, those who believe the resurrection have a saving gospel. Those who believe the resurrection have a saving gospel. So without the resurrection, here's what Paul says about the gospel that we preach and that we believe. 1 Corinthians 15, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God. Because we testify about God that He has raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be Most pitied. Well, that's John then, isn't it? If Jesus is not alive. And Peter and Mary and all of those who followed Jesus. Pitiful, poor, deceived. No hope. Still in sin. Without God. And there's no fixing it. Can I tell you that if that's the world that you live in, a world without the resurrection of Jesus. This world is dying and dead and it is falling apart. There is no hope. There is no fixing it. And God, what would God do with the world without a Savior but to enact His judgment only and to recreate everything new and start all over, perhaps again and again and again, if the resurrection is not true. But the resurrection is true. Christ has been raised. Therefore, our preaching is not in vain and your faith is not in vain. We are not misrepresenting God 
The dead are raised because Christ has been raised and your faith is not futile. You've believed and you believe in a Christ who is real and you are no longer in your sins. And those who have fallen asleep have hope. And all people who have trusted in Christ are not the most to be pitied, but the most to be envied because we are saved. We know Christ. Friend, I don't wonder what's going to happen when my life comes to an end. I know that my hope and my life is secure because I've trusted in Christ. Jesus has saved me. And if your hope is in a resurrected Christ this morning, it is secure. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believed and so we also speak. Knowing that He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into His presence. The Gospel is secure. We know we have hope. Romans chapter 8 and verse 10 says, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. And so that leads to number three. And that is those who believe the resurrection are a living people. They're a living people. You remember what John said in... John, or rather what Jesus said to Martha in John chapter 11, the story of Lazarus. A story that, by the way, would have been a dead-end street. Many of us have lost loved ones, and, and we know what it's like to come to the place in our lives where we feel like all hope is lost, and we don't know where we're going to turn, and, and there's nowhere to go, and there are no answers. And we feel like that there's just nothing left to live for. Perhaps this is where Martha is, and Jesus says to Martha, Verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus gives her the most amazing news. Verse 23, when he says, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So she knows about this delayed hope, but there's this lack of hope in life. And Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And he says, whoever believes in me. Though he die, yet shall he live. Jesus is saying to to Martha, though you come to every single experience of a dead-end road that is the result of living a life that is filled with death, though you come up against the most impossible circumstances in your life, though it seems there's no answer, and though it seems there's no way out, Jesus says, "I, I am life. I am the resurrection and the life. And even if you die, you will rise again. The death that he's describing is, of course, a physical death. And it is a spiritual death. And that death shows up not just in the final moments that we breathe. But that death shows up in so many ways. The world that we live in is filled with brokenness and disease and Hunger and all of these things that are the result of the fall. And if we're honest, there is no 
recovery for this world. It just seems like it's going more and more and more downhill every day. But that's not true for the Christian. See, the Christian has been raised from death to life. Not just eternal life, but there is this spiritual life in which we are raised from deadness in our trespasses and sins to now life in Christ. Do we realize that to walk as a sinner separated from God is to walk in death every day of our lives? And what has happened in the resurrection is that not only has Jesus been raised from the dead, but we have been raised together with Christ to walk in Christ in life eternal. That's what Paul describes in Ephesians chapter 2, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And it's God who raised us together with Him. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, He made us together alive with Christ. And it's by grace that we are saved. So we are a living people. We no longer live among the dead or among the tombs. We live in Christ. And there's a fourth difference. And that difference is that those who believe the resurrection have an eternal hope. We have an eternal hope. For the disciples, this would have seemed like the end of the road. It's a great three years. Now Jesus is gone. None of those who came to the tomb came with hope. They came with expectation that they would find grief. They would experience again loss and We see here fear and panic and worry. These are all the responses of a sinner's heart. But not the Christian. The Christian finds a certain anticipation in knowing that Jesus is alive and every new day is one day closer to seeing Him face to face again. And as many trials as life might bring, they can never be a dead end road because Jesus is alive. No matter how much death we face, it's never final because Jesus has already conquered it. No no matter how much failure we face in our lives, ultimately, Christ has been perfectly flawless for us. And His righteousness has been exchanged for our filthy rags such that we are right with God, justified forever. And our lives are never final here. We have a life waiting for us forever with God in Christ. It was the hope that Peter described in 1 Peter after he, by the way, comes to realize when he sees the risen Christ. We'll come to that part of the story. But Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. Listen to how he describes this. Born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's why we have hope this morning. It's because we who are in Christ have been born again through the resurrection to a living hope. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power, not by my own strength, not by my own ability to make it through, 
It's not a, I've got to somehow make it through the difficulties of life so that I know something better is prepared for me. And, and if I can just get through by the skin of my teeth, then I'm just going to make it there. No, God's keeping us by His power. We're being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We have an unshakable hope because of the resurrection of Jesus. And can I free you this morning? Our hope does not rest in a president or a governor. Our hope does not rest in a country. Our hope does not rest in your retirement plan or your paycheck. Our hope doesn't rest in our marriage or our children. Our hope doesn't rest in whatever legacy you think you can leave behind. Or money that you stored up to leave for your children. Our hope doesn't even rest in karma or paying it forward so that good things come back to us. Our hope doesn't rest in our reputation and what others think about us. Praise God. Our, our hope does not rest in our performance or our worthiness or our merit or our identity. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. My hope is in Christ and Christ alone. And I have read the eyewitness accounts. I have believed upon Christ and His death and His burial and His resurrection. And you who are in Christ this morning have believed upon Christ. And can I tell you that that is a hope that will never disappoint. And there is coming a day, Revelation says, that we will no longer see as we see now, that we will gather and we will see Jesus face to face. Because we have an eternal hope that is in Christ, a person, and our hope is secure. This is true because Jesus has been raised from the dead. Because payment has been made and death has been conquered and our enemies are no more because His enemies are no more. And all who trust in Christ, all who believe in the name of the only Son of God, are saved and receive eternal life forever. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? We want to call you to believe upon Christ today. Maybe for some of you this morning, you're like Peter. You've been following Jesus and doubt has crept in. You're like Mary Magdalene. You know that Jesus is Savior, that He's the Messiah. You've believed the Gospel and doubt has crept in. Maybe you're like John and you just don't know all the answers yet. All that's going to become clear to you one day. But today your faith is weak. Because it's been resting not just in Jesus, but in other things. And God is doing a work in your life today. And has been doing in your, a work in your life to shake you, to free you, loose you from all of the things that you put your trust in. So that it will be Jesus and Jesus alone. So maybe this morning you need to come and spend some time here before the Lord.
Just asking Him to renew your faith, your trust in Him. To free you from that thing that has bondage over your life. Today, He'll do that. If Jesus can rise from the dead, He certainly can conquer your lack of trust. So in just a few moments, I want to invite you to come. Maybe somebody needs to come and pray with you. You grab somebody and say, hey, come pray with me. I need help. This morning you come in just a few moments. Others of you in this room, you may have never trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Never come to know the risen Christ. Today the Bible says that if you will confess your sin, if you'll confess Jesus as Lord of your life, turn from your sin and believe that Jesus has raised from the dead, then today you will be saved. Simply to call out to God. So in just a few moments where you're standing, that's you this morning. I want to invite you to step out of the place where you'll be standing. Come down this aisle. Pastor, today I want to be saved. I want to be born again. I want to know Christ. And I'll lead you to know Jesus today. And Jesus will save you. So all across the room, would you stand with me as I begin to pray? And our invitation begins. Lord Jesus, I pray that You would have Your way in our hearts. That You would remind us that You are alive today just as much as You were 2,000 years ago. That You're able to save and that You're able to restore and heal and raise to life. Would You do it in our hearts today, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. You come this morning. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.